Hi, this is Rick Emmett of Triumph and also Rick Emmett, the poet. <laughs> and you're listening to Brent Jensen. And this is No Sleep Till Sudbury. Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups, handcrafted all the way down in Detroit, Rock City. Check them out at pariahpickups.com. The show is also brought to you by Storyfora, a content agency helping businesses with their various communications needs. For writing services of any type, go to storyfora, P-H-O-R-A.com. This week, Famous Lost Words co-host Tom Jokic drops by my house for a friendly chat about songs that are linked to interviews he's done with some very interesting artists, one of those being the legendary Gordon Lightfoot, and another being Lisa Marie Presley. Here he is. Tom Jokic, you have found your way to my home once again, my friend. Here you are. I, this is the third time, second time in the house, third time on the show. I had to listen to the previous two, A, because I'm a narcissist, <laughs> and B, because I wanted to make sure I didn't repeat myself. <laughs> you had uh, you had sent over some notes to me, and I think we there was a story. You, we always talk about what we're going to talk about. Right. Um, but I wasn't sure. And people have done that on the show, by the way. So repeat guests will say, oh, I've got a great story about this. And as they're telling it, I'm like, oh, no, they already told that story. <laughs> so it's a good thing that you did your homework. Well, I, I had to because there are a few stories that I definitely love to tell, right? About, yeah. you know, like in the last episode, meeting the Bee Gees and also meeting Don Henley and going, you know, flying to LA and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. so I go, I wonder if I told the Henley story because it's not on my list of songs. But then I listened to it and went, oh, yeah, I've already told that. Yeah. That's a good one. And uh, I had to I had to put this uh, this particular this particular meeting with us off by a, a week or so, and it's really interesting because one of the people that we're talking about mm-hmm. that I sent you a song for has died in the meantime. That's right. So, so what a coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. So so we've got lots to talk about there. We do. Yeah. Would you like to get started? Sure. All right, is there anything else that you want to address before we get into the tunes? I mean, you're looking great, buddy. Is that what you're looking for? Well, that's kind of helping you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, um, we've talked a little bit about the fact that, uh, that you know, as you know, I'm a big fan of your podcast, and you've mentioned my podcast a little bit. And mm-hmm. what, this, what this is, my five songs are based on artists that I've interviewed. So these are five songs based on moments that I've had be they good or bad moments. Not most of these are good. I also have an honorable mention uh, for kind of a weird one. Um, but but that's what this list is based on today. Okay. All right. Very good. So I've got it here. It starts off with the person that we were just talking about, yeah. Gordon Lightfoot. Yes. So the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is my is is the song that I've chosen for many reasons. Like I, you know, I think that Gordon Lightfoot. You know, since his passing a number of days ago, people have really spoken up about the impact of his music. And, you know, in Canada, he was beloved by mm-hmm. an, by a whole whack of people. But you see now that he's passed, you know, being on Twitter, being on Facebook, people from all over the world, and especially a lot of American uh, musicians are just like in grief because they were profoundly influenced by him. And this is one of those songs. I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but um, there's a line 
where uh, he says in the song, uh, he's talking about the Maritime Sailors Cathedral and the and the and the bells, the church, the church bell chimes twenty nine times for each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. And because of that song, he became quite close to the survivors of the sailors who died. Oh. The Edmund Fitzgerald wasn't like an 1800s event. It was like the year before he wrote the song. It had just happened. Right. And so these people were profoundly moved by his song and his tribute to them. And the really funny thing about it, or the interesting thing about it, is over the years he's changed the lyrics to become more accurate. Over the years he's made a number of changes in that song. So when they met recently to honor him... At the, I think at the Maritime Center's Cathedral or some sort of church, they rang the bell 30 times because now he's gone mm. instead of 29. So, so, so many people have kind of wrapped their arms around him and his music. And I love his sense of history in his music, but I also love the very, very personal songs that he wrote, mm-hmm. whether it's um, The Circle is Small or Carefree Highway. Like Carefree Highway, I can listen to that and just be moved by the beauty of the song and some of the lyrics are so direct that they hit you like right in the heart. And then some of them are so opaque that you kind of go, what does that mean? And I love that. I love the fact that there's layers on these songs where not everything is obvious. And I think he was just one of those songwriters and it was a horrible loss. And there was a performance or something about a day or two after uh, after his passing where I was just in tears thinking mm. about what he meant to people. Now, you know, I'd always been a fan and as the years uh, grew, as I got a little bit older, I became more of a fan. And then in 2019, I got a chance to interview him. Oh. And so that's not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was at his house in the Rosedale area of Toronto. And he was promoting, uh, if you could read my mind, the documentary. Mm-hmm. And so I interviewed him and one of the uh, producers or directors of the, of the movie. And he was great. He was very quiet. And, you know, he was a little more quiet than you'd want him to be. But then I edited it down to kind of the good parts for the podcast. And I realized, no, he gave some great answers. And I played him an old clip, which is what we do on Famous Lost Words. Mm -hmm. We dig up old clips from our archives. So I played him one from 45 years earlier and played it for him and said, you know, what do you think of this? And while I was playing it to him, he was like kind of losing his mind, like just reminiscing about the time that he was talking about in the clip. And that's how in a... One of his earliest gigs was in a London, a place called The Smoke Shop. And it was basically a bar and a steak shop, like a steak restaurant. Okay. And so he'd be playing on stage and right next to the stage was the grill and they'd slap (laughs) steaks on it. And so the whole room would be filled with this steam and smoke. All right. And so literally it was a smoke shop. So he's talking about that. And while I'm playing that clip for him... Um, the director sitting right beside him, she's saying, Gordy, you never told us this story. Like <laughs> she loved the story about that, which we had, but uh, but they didn't. That's cool. So it was really great to meet him. And within 24 hours of him passing away, we posted uh, a new episode of our, of our podcast featuring mm-hmm. old clips from the 70s, him talking to us. And when I say us, I mean um, the Chum, 1050 Chum and Chum FM interview archives. And he came to Chum, mostly Chum FM, a bunch of times over the years just because his office was feet away from us. Oh. Like like I'm talking about across the street from your place. 
That's oh. how close his office was. So he'd be there most days. And anytime he released something, he'd go, well, I better go to Chum first. He'd walk down and sit in our studios and tell stories. And so we have hours of him. And so what I did is I very quickly listened to as much of it as I could, mm-hmm. put an episode together and popped it up. And I got to tell you, it's our probably our, well, it is our most listened to uh, episode of the year so far. Oh, and it's sure like thousands more than we normally would get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's a testament uh, to both our archive and the love of, you know, Gordon Lightfoot by so many people. That's so great. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about your show is that you've got so much gold, mm-hmm. you know, in the vaults, as it were. Yes. And you just, the, the, I, you never know what's going to come out of there. Yeah. And to your point, like you've got all this material, which is great. It's And it's right there. Right, right. Can I uh, can I tell you by the way this is both on the record and off the record mm. about how to reach a whole whack of people in a situation like this and that is to go to the fan club sites on Facebook mm. and let them know what you've done because I can watch the numbers on a day by day basis you know that because yeah. you can do the same and about 3 days ago I posted the episode and told one of the stories in the post and I said, hey, listen to this if you want. And I asked Gordon Lightfoot about why he decided not to sue Whitney Houston for the song, The Greatest Love of All. Right. And that's a whole story. And people can find that online. We don't have time to get into that. But what happened is I posted it on the website. And, and within 24 hours, I got hundreds more listeners on this, on this episode. Oh, wow. Uh, because they're all kind of clamoring they're all there's a hunger for that kind of content Mm -hmm. and so reaching out to those people those specific fans is a is a great way to spread the message so pro tip yeah podcasters yeah it really is it really is quite interesting and and that's happened before with um uh, the guy from uh, depeche mode who died fletch right and um and you know their their fans are like you know, you kind of think of Depeche Mode in the grand scheme of music history. Okay, you know, they had a few hits and all that yeah. stuff. But boy, off the charts when you post with their uh, fans and they're just deeply devoted and, they're, and they want stuff like that. So yeah, makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Very peculiar that you had picked this and then yeah. he had passed away. But, you know, to your point, it was very nice to see the respect that he got on an international front. Yeah. You know, I saw things from people like Paul Stanley and yeah. Rick Beato. And just- Beato did a, Beato did a really kind of heartfelt, he was almost too choked up to say anything other than how choked up he was, but wow. it was great. Yeah. Like he was great. Beato. Yeah. I said, I, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. I, I will get to it, but yeah, I, I, I love that, you know, cause he was, a, he was a real, True. He was a true treasure. Gordon Absolutely. Was. You know, one of the weirdest moments, uh, you know, a lot of various people have Twitter accounts. A lot of various organizations have Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. But Lake Superior has a Twitter account, like The Lake. Oh, okay. Okay. So when he died, because that's where the accident was at mm-hmm. the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, it was a very windy day, the day after he died. And they say, on this day, it's very much like the gales of November. Mm. And we ask this question, does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Which is, I'm getting goosebumps just saying the line because it's such a beautiful line. And and they say, rest in peace, Gord. It's been good to know you, which is also another reference about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. So 
this this account for Lake Superior even had this like moving tribute to him, which wow. is you know, it's weird, but it's kind of cool too. I love all that. That's, yeah, that's so. Yeah, th- thanks for bringing all that up. That's yeah, some really great, you know, ringing the bell thirty times. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Me too. Me love too. Love it. Love it. Well done. All right, you want my next song, buddy? Yes, sir. Okay, the song is uh, "Stupid Boy" by Keith Urban. Yes. Even though at the radio station at Chum FM, where I was the morning show producer for over 30 years, we were basically a pop station and and a rock station to some degree. Mm -hmm. One day, we had the opportunity to interview Keith Urban. And we weren't playing any of his music, like none. But he was very famous. Mm -hmm. He was famous for a couple of reasons. One, because he was famous, because he was a famous country guy. And two, because he was married to- Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. And our audience, like, fully is into kind of that celebrity culture. So we go, okay, well, let's have him on. The, well, he wants to wants to play a song. We go, okay, well, we can play a song. He comes in, and the guy, honest to God, he's one of those people mm-hmm. who um, some people say it about politicians. Some people say it about, you know, other celebrities. He has charisma and instant likability. He mm. was nice to everybody. He's very kind of... Not mild-mannered, but very, like, gentle but fun, you yep, know? Yeah. And um, just really agreeable and just great. Anyway, he is three feet away from me, and he plays a song I've never heard called Stupid Boy. Okay. Hairs went up on my arms as he's singing the song. It's just him and his guitar, nothing else. And I'm blown away by it. Of course, I've become an instant fan. Yeah. Now, I, I like him, but I, I've never found a song as good as this one by him, right? Like, I love the guy, but... This is it. Wow. And his performance on Chum FM that day of that song, and then the original performance from the album, uh, is just amazing. I, I love the song, and it's very moving. What a fortuitous thing Yeah, that he played what would be your favorite song, even if you went through his other songs. That was, you know, do you think? Yes. It wasn't your favorite because he played it for you. It was your favorite because it was legitimately your favorite Well, song. right. Well, honestly, I didn't really know much about him at the time. So right. it was kind of the first time I ever heard a Keith Urban song was yeah. when he was three feet away from me, kind of looking at me because I'm listening. I'm listening through my headphones, making sure we've got the the thing right. But I'm also engaged in him as a performer and watching him. And I'm just going, man, this, this guy is good. Mm. And then he appeared on the morning show a number of times, including for a special, like a special performance where we would actually gather some fans and put it on, put it on a stage in the, like, in our compound, in our uh, in in our group of buildings that we have downtown, and so there'd be like forty people, and there'd be Keith Urban up on a small stage with just his guitar, just rocking the place on on acoustic guitar and playing, and he was great. So we, you know, he loved doing that kind of stuff, but he was also great fun in that. Um, you've obviously heard of the Urban Dictionary, sure. We did the Keith Urban Dictionary <laughs> with him, That's and it great. was a uh, you know it was just one of my it was a rare good idea by Tom. And, and what I, what I thought is that, okay, he's from uh, New Zealand and Australia. He was raised in both. So I'm going to get him to read words that are common to those areas. And the other hosts of the show have to guess what they are. Okay, that's so it was good. the Keith Urban Dictionary and it went really well. And it's just one of those things where, you know, you write things and you hope that the person's going to be able to, pl- going to want to play, yeah. going to be good natured about it. And he was fantastic. And some of the stuff that I had researched was actually wrong. 
Oh. Right? Just what, like one of them was wrong. And he's going, yeah, nobody really says that. Of course, that's <laughs> that is a that's a great for a laugh because sometimes oh the gosh. mistakes are just as funny. Oh, as, if not or, better. Yeah, if not better, right? And so it was so fun that he had that he brought a great spirit and that he was, you know, willing to have fun with us. That's and he cool. did that a few times. So he's maybe my favorite guest that we've ever had. I, I love hearing that. Yeah. I, you know, it's always nice to hear that celebrities are, they have great attitudes and they want to, you know, they want to engage and they want to have fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, it shouldn't, I shouldn't be surprised by that. Right. So, but, but you hear too many bad stories. You like, really do. do you yeah. I mean? But you know, for the most part, people have been pretty okay with things, but mm -hmm. we're also, you know, we're also kind of um, tentative in pitching ideas, right? You know, another person that we, you and I haven't talked about, but- that came on the show and I'm going now, man, I'm not really, I'm not a fan of Michael Bolton for God's sake. Seriously, Michael Bolton, he comes in, he was fantastic. He was hilarious. He was self-deprecating, mm. which you kind of have to be when you're Michael Bolton, I think, right? You just have a sense of humor about yourself and your place. Yeah. And he's borne that out in, in subsequent years to show that he has a bit of a, a sense of humor about himself. And he was fantastic. We did a we did a, a game with his name in it and he, he he nailed it. He like, you know. That's awesome. Hit it out of the park. So that's one of those things where you want them to be able to play along. Okay, next one. Next one. I'm not a huge, huge Gino Vanelli fan. There's you know a couple really of songs. Cool, actually, Tom, before you go on, you know what's really cool about this? You basically just, you're automatic. I could just sit here and just jump in and say, okay, yeah, good. So I'm usually the guy who's like, okay, your next song is. Yeah. So I can just like sit here with my arms behind my head and my feet up and say, all right, go ahead. <laughs> Dude, I produced a morning radio show in, in Canada's number one station for 30 years. I know when it's time to move on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Off you go, man. What do you got? So, so Gino Vanelli, um, I had a chance to interview him for the podcast mm -hmm. and and I listened to a few of his songs, and there was a few songs that I absolutely love. I think People Gotta Move is a great song. Mm -hmm. And Black Cars is okay and all that. And there's a few other songs that I actually quite like. And I go, oh, you know what? I'm going to interview Gino. He's got a great story to tell. He sits down, and we're, you know I'm planning on talking to him for 15 minutes, maybe 20. And I think we went on for 45. Mm -hmm. And he was so great. He brought one of his brothers. I can't remember if it was Joe or Ross, but he's very close with with both of his brothers who are instrumental, literally and figuratively, in his career. They mm. play and produce a lot of his music. And this is only, I think this is 2019 as well, 2018 or 2019, right around the time that I interviewed uh, Gordon Lightfoot. And so, this so is recent then. Right. Okay. And so him looking back on his career and, of course, him promoting his new album. And so I give him lots of time to talk about that. And then I get to the to the quote-unquote good stuff, right? To the stories. And so, Brent, I want to play you a clip of my favorite story in one of my very favorite moments of any interview I've ever done where he gets his record deal, okay? Yeah. By the way, the herb that he's talking about in this clip is Herb Alpert. Okay. Very, very famous musician, mostly really popular uh, in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Had a lot of instrumental hits with Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Right. Herb was famous for playing his trumpet. And if you know the dating game song, like... Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I can do any song on the trumpet. That's okay? so great. Without playing the trumpet. And um, he tells me the story about how he got his record deal 
with Herb Alpert of A&M Records. So let's have a listen to this. Yeah, roll it. So uh, I stood outside the gates of A&M for a couple of hours, three hours, until the guard came down from his tower and um, warned me not to you know, crash the gates. And I said, oh, no, I'm, I'll never crash the gates. And that's when I saw Herb uh, get out of his office, walk through the parking lot, drop my guitar, and I ran through the gates. <laughs> yeah. He, he started, I mean, he, he, he unholstered his gun and he started chasing me. Because, I mean, he didn't know who I was. Right. A month before that, uh, Lonnie Hall, uh, Herb's wife, right. was nearly kidnapped. She was thrown into a car and managed to escape. So they probably thought this was round two. I don't know. I, I did have that sort of look to myself, you know, in those days. <laughs> Who's this hirsute fellow? <laughs> yes, I know. All but for the crucifix on my chest, you know. <laughs> but the hair, and the hair out the uh, Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, and you can never see my shoulders. <laughs> And um, so I, I did make it to Herb, and um, as I made it to Herb and, and accosted him, grabbed his shoulder, he turned, uh, went a little pale on me, and then when that happened, Johnny the guard, I later found out his name was Johnny, pulled me away from Herb to make sure I wasn't going to hurt him, and started pulling me out, out of the lot. And I just turned around, and Herb, I gave him that look, and Herb just saw. I mean, this is the unspoken word. It, it's almost, you know, when people look at each other and they mm. know each other mm. and Herb looked at me, I looked at him, it's like we knew each other. Wow. And, and he said, hold on, Johnny. And, I, and he summoned me and he said, what do you want? I said, let me play for you. Just let me play for you. What song? And he said, come back in 30 minutes. And okay. I, I played um, Crazy Life, Mama Coco, People Gotta Move, um, a couple of the songs I can't remember, but at least three or four songs. Yeah. And all the while I was playing, I mean, I thought I was bombing because he had his head, his forehead on the table, listening uh, with his head down. He just lifted his head and said, welcome to the family. I just got goosebumps. That is a great story. So just you on your guitar. Yeah. You're not playing him a tape. No, no, you no. You are no. playing for him. No, I took my guitar and, <gasps> people come on, and just start playing that. And he went, all right. That's amazing. So there you go. From 2019-ish, that's my conversation with Gino Vanelli, and I love that story. That's an amazing story. Yes. Can you imagine somebody trying to do that today? He'd no. be arrested. Oh, he'd be beaten. <laughs> Truly. He'd well, be beaten. The, well, he was describing how he looked, right? Yes. And, and I don't you know, remember what he looked like. Yes, back then. a big, like a mountain of hair. Oh, totally. The low cut shirt with the you know with the with the yeah. probably the crucifix or the chains right, right? <laughs> That's right and you know just a kid from Montreal trying to make it right and yeah. just like you know loves loves his music a real artist like I think that when you think of Gino Vanelli you know, might put him in the same in the same drawer as like a John Denver or someone like that oh, yeah. kind of soft and all that stuff but I've seen him live he's a good performer mm -hmm. and he's truly dedicated to his craft and his art and expressing emotion through music. And I've been a bigger fan of him since I spoke to him. Just one of those things where I was lucky enough to have that opportunity. And by the end, it was, it was either Gino or his brother said, man, that was good. Like, because I think they got a chance to say things they really wanted to say about mm -hmm. Gino's music, about their music. Yeah. And it's really gratifying when they like the experience as much as you do, because every once in a while you're in your own head, you're going, holy smoke, this is good. And then at the end, when they say that, that's really gratifying. There is nothing better than that. That's right. As an interviewer or a yeah. host, right? Yeah. Nothing better. Absolutely. Look, he, he sounds like a very like easygoing guy. He sounds yes. cool. Yeah. So. And uh, 
And of course, I posted, I got a picture with him, posted it on Facebook, and everybody goes, oh, yeah, same guy, slightly shorter hair, but that's definitely Gino Vanelli. <laughs> he still looks like Gino. <laughs> that's great. Um, okay, so the next song I chose uh, is That's All Right by Elvis Presley. Yeah. No, I didn't interview Elvis Presley, in case you're wondering. <laughs> um and of course, choosing an Elvis Presley song is interesting because where do you start? But I started right at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That's all right. The moment when he kicks into that's all right while he's just horsing around, while Sam Phillips is going, yeah, it's not working today. I don't know. I've heard this guy's good, but nothing's happening. And then he horses around and then Sam Phillips says, whatever you're doing, keep doing that and let's take that song from the top. That's a great story, by right. the way. Yeah. It's a magical moment. And there's a... Uh, there's a number of books about this moment. Uh, there's a book called uh, Last Train to Memphis by a guy named Peter Goralnik, mm-hmm. the Elvis biographer, right? It's a, it's a two-part uh, series by him I would highly recommend. And there's another book called The Guy, the Man he, Who Invented Rock and Roll. And it's by the same, art, the same author. His name, is again, is Peter Goralnik. But he's talking about Sam Phillips. Oh. So he does Elvis's story in two books and he does Sam Phillips' story in one book. So he tells the story of that. So, I didn't interview Elvis, but I interviewed Priscilla Presley oh. and Lisa Marie Presley. Oh, wow. And so, obviously, in light of Lisa Marie's recent passing, we played highlights of those interviews. Mm-hmm. Now, we uh, so both of them appeared on our morning show, the you know, Roger Rick and Marilyn show or Roger Darren and Marilyn or whatever iteration of the show it was at the time. And uh, Lisa Marie came in twice Priscilla came in once and she was promoting like a line of bedding, oh. right? But that's fine. You get to talk to her and we our, our station skewed, a, you know, a bit towards people who were interested in fashion and home, de- home decor yeah. and all that stuff. So we go, well, let's have her in and hopefully she'll be interested to talk about her years with Elvis. Right. And she was fantastic. She talked about it all and she talked about how when her and Elvis got divorced um, and in divorce court, they held each other's hands during the hearing and they left holding each other's hands because wow. they wanted, they wanted to be a couple that still loved each other post-divorce hmm. and they wanted to show that they were a couple that loved each other post-divorce. So that's a great story. And there was other things that we asked her about the sale of Graceland and all that stuff. It was great. And, um, and you can hear that in an episode of famous lost words, right? <laughs> plug, plug, plug. <laughs> and, um, and we had, Lisa Marie in, and Lisa Marie was interesting because she's she was kind of intense. She was an intense person, an intense performer, and I think if she had her way, no one would ever, ever ask her any questions about being a Presley, right? Oh, really? Just, but she was fine. She answered the questions and all that stuff. But at one point, I got a chance outside of the morning show to interview her as well. So just separately. Yep. I thought about it and I thought of the perfect question. Mm. Now, the answer might not be perfect, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I asked her the perfect question that I wanted to know. And I was very proud of answering it, even though I think it irritated her a little bit. Okay. And, and, and in a way, well, I'll let you be the judge. So I asked Lisa Marie Presley, the daughter of Elvis, mm-hmm. what would have had to have happened for your father to be alive today. Oh, God. And it's a weird, it's kind of a weird question to ask a, a person about their father who died young. He also died at the age of 42. Potentially, maybe a, an interview ended as well. It right? could be. It could be. 
And first she went, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and so yeah. that's not what you want. But she was kind of put off by it. And I said, okay. I said, I understand. But do you think perhaps being surrounded by different people instead mm. of the people that he was surrounded with, who enabled a lot of things, do you think that would have been a better choice? And she said, yeah, maybe. Mm. So I was proud that I had kind of the nuts to ask that question. Yeah. But, and, and I wasn't disappointed with the way it turned out. So, you know, there's part of it that I'm not sure I would ask that question now. I think I'm a little bit more sensitive to a person because mm-hmm. this is a real person I'm talking about and their real father. That's right. But it's something I wanted to know at the time. It was probably a good 20 years ago when I did it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to like score points, but I really wanted to know because I've, I've always been fascinated by Elvis, not only his career, but what fame did to him. Right. And I do think that if he, had, if he had surrounded his people with people who really cared and weren't on the payroll. Colonel Tom Parker. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> but but not even that, the people who are directly around. But you know what? You're right. Colonel Tom as well. Right. Um, that his life would have been different and he might still be around today. Oh, Parker ran him ragged. I did an episode on that that mm-hmm. dedicated it to like how he was put through the machine. The poor yes. Guy. Yeah. For yeah. profit, for the sake of profit. Yeah. If that's what I thought you were talking about. No. Mm. No, I'm talking about the Memphis Mafia. Okay. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. all those guys, those five or six or you know eight guys that were around him at all times. Right. Um, who just did everything he wanted. Yeah. And, and they were, a, in a sense, like a security blanket around him. And I understand that because he was Elvis and everybody wanted something from him. But he didn't realize that some of the people who wanted something for him were those people. Mm-hmm. Right. And he kind of had to have them on the payroll or they, you know, they couldn't make a living. But right. you needed people who were independent of him saying, Elvis, like what you're doing right now, you've got too many health problems, right? You're not looking after yourself. And he didn't know that because he was mixed up in a haze of a whole bunch of things, oh, right? God, yeah, yeah. Including, you know, just, I don't know, just, yeah. I think he probably went, I mean, he was very traumatized by everything that happened to him and, and including the stuff that you said, like you say, was uh, by Colonel Tom. Well, that was like such a kind of prototypical rock star story that it's almost like on a level of a Greek tragedy, you know, like you've seen so many things happen after the fact in that same kind of milieu that that was almost the, 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 the story that started it all off because it had all the elements, right? The crooked manager who was making yeah. the profits and the, all these enablers and the, the, the yes men and the hangers on and the, the people who feed the drugs and like all those things. Yep. And a poor you know kid who first time he was on TV, his, his mom sewed his shirt for him and he was so proud. Yeah. He was just this good kid. Right. And he died at the hands of these people. Yeah. You know, it's just such a And he tragedy. died at the age of 42. Like, right. think about that. We lost John Lennon at 40, Elvis Presley at 42, Kurt Cobain at 27, Janis Joplin, same age, Jimi Hendrix, same age. Yeah. And, you know, like Gordon Lightfoot, thank God we got 84 years out of him. Imagine mm. these other people if they had had a chance to live to the age of 84. Oh, and, yeah. And just, you know, just for their own lives, how hopefully they would have been better and you know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have been as traumatized as Joplin. Jeez, we could talk for an hour about Joplin. Oh, God, yeah. And her story. Anyway, yeah. so interviewing and meeting both Lisa Marie and Priscilla was a, was a real, like, honor and a thrill. And, you know, I don't know if I come, across, come out looking too good in that story about the question that I asked. But I definitely asked it. And, uh, 
and and she answered it and i think i i think she kind of agreed with me when we kind of dug a little deeper there mm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right my last song is together again by janet jackson okay yes. Great song, by the way. Great pop song. It's about a friend who has passed away, and I think it's about a friend who has passed away of AIDS, and her saying, we'll be together again someday, kind mm. of thing. Yep. Uh, so the message is fantastic, and she raised a lot of money for AIDS research with that song. And the reason why I chose Janet Jackson is we interviewed her about six weeks after Nipplegate. Ah, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, yeah. Right. And so this is 2004. She had just done... Uh, the Super Bowl, and was not talking about it, right? Mm. And we had her for, I think, an hour on our morning show, from about 8 a.m. to about 9 a.m. We talked to her, and she's very quiet, like timid, quiet, and all that stuff. But we started to get some good stories out of her. And, our, you know, the anchor of our show, Roger Ashby, he knows a lot about the history of the moat of Motown and of the Jackson five and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she's at one point we're asking Janet, like who discovered the Jackson five really was it Diana Ross. Was it Gladys Knight? Who was it? Mm-hmm. And she said, no, it's a guy named Bobby Taylor and Roger knows all about Bobby Taylor. So, oh, cool. so he's, so he can now relate to her in those terms and she can relate to being a little girl when Bobby Taylor and Marvin Gaye and Smokey Robinson used to be, around the house right and so so she told great stories and we were told don't talk about the the super bowl okay yeah nipplegate and i'm working on questions like in advance you're working on nipplegate question and i'm going how (laughs) do we get her to talk about this because it's on everybody's mind yeah how do you get janet jackson to address the elephant in the room a, without getting her up and leave because you've mm. kind of broken the verbal contract. Mm-hmm. And so I write a question along the lines of, so Janet, you know, it seems to me that, it seems to us that the media in the United States is more out of control than it's ever been. Mm. What do you think about that? That's not a bad so way to back that's, into- That's a very leading question, right? You're right. Kind of like- <laughs> right. <laughs> And so you're tricky, Tom Jokic. Well, well, <laughs> at least I wasn't mean like I was with uh, poor Lisa Marie. You know, the more I tell that story, the more embarrassed I am by it. I was like, that's, that's potentially an offensive question. Yes, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, so we ask her that, and then she starts to answer it, and she said, "You know, I have to tell you, after the Super Bowl, she said, which I don't really talk about, mm. but." The weirdest thing happened in that by the time I got home after the Super Bowl, there was this massive power, massive power failure in my house. So I didn't have TV for two days. So I was protected from most of the things that were being said. What a weird happenstance. That right. Is. Wow. Or maybe a, maybe her manager just said, yeah, let's just pull the cable out. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> but anyway, so so that's that story. So we actually got her to talk about it. In a way, we didn't talk about, you know, the moment when it happened. Like, there was just no way we were going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But but we also have a responsibility to address an issue that the bulk of our audience remembers from just a few days ago, essentially, and to, and to at least ask her respectfully. And I think we did, and she answered it. And because it, this was at the end of the hour and we'd had a great time with her and she'd had a great time with us, that she was comfortable enough to say it. And she thanked us at the end. She said, thanks for making me feel comfortable. Oh, good. You know, so. 
So there you go. Good for you. I'm not sure if Lisa Marie Presley thanked me oh, at the end of the day. called you a bully and <laughs> ran out of the room. Oh, my God. <laughs> I now feel terrible about this. Terrible. Anyway, okay, before we wrap things up, can I tell you my weirdest interview moment? Absolutely, you can. I think, I think it's about uh, 2005 or so. I'm interviewing Meatloaf. Okay. He's, he's about to interview, or he's about to release... Bad Out of Hell 3, mm. I can't remember what the, the subtitle is, the, the, the Bad is Loose or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm interviewing him and he's he's okay. Like he can be kind of cranky, and but he can be quite funny. And, and he's really emotional about talking about him and his career and, his, and, the, and the people around him and the critics and his fans and all that stuff. And it was fine. It was a pretty good interview. Anyway, um, this is kind of early on in my uh, in my experience with having a cell phone, okay. I didn't shut it off. Oh, and it rings, and it interrupts him in the middle of the thing. Uh oh. So he goes, "Let me get that." So he grabs my phone and answers it, and it's my then wife. <laughs> oh. And he goes, and he answers the phone. And he goes, "Hi, we're in the middle of an interview. Who is this?" You know, poor Cheryl didn't know what the hell was going on, right. and I'm yelling across the room, "Cheryl, you're talking to Meatloaf." And I know that she liked Bad Out of Hell because she had a copy of the album. And so she's going, oh, uh, you know, hi, Mr. Loaf. Like not (laughs) not quite knowing what's going on really. And then basically Meatloaf takes a message that I have to pick up a few things on the way home. And it's pretty simple. It's pretty silly. But he's answering my phone, which I didn't want to go off. And he's pretty good natured about it. And it's just one of those moments where you feel like an idiot. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it was fine. I did that with Tara Sloan, and uh, my and I never do this. I was right. Always, and and this is maybe four years ago, and so we're sitting the same way that you and I are now, face to face, and you know it buzzes, and she stops talking. She looks at me and she goes, "Rookie." <laughs> <laughs> I, like, oh, I love Tara, by man. the way. She's fantastic. She, I follow yeah. her on Twitter. I'm a big fan. Me too. Big fan of the way she treats with a, uh, a lot of the people who are not uh, very kind to her and other uh, other women uh, who who you know make the what shouldn't be a risk, but take a risk by being on uh, on a social media site and uh, who are willing to speak their minds. Oh, and she does. Yeah, yeah, which I fully respect I, yeah. and admire. I love it. She's real deal. She's yeah. she's a fantastic person. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah. So there you go, buddy. Good man. Those are my stories. Some of them make me look good. Some of them don't. <laughs> well, you're a you're a man of journalistic integrity, then, Tom. Sure. <laughs> or just an ass. <laughs> Either way, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Brent. That was great. <laughs> All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Tom Jokic. Thanks, Brent. All right. Until next time, take good care, folks. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>